0: Hey ladies, welcome to the Heartheaded Way. I am your host, Dietrich Wiley. So listen ladies, on this journey to identifying, learning, and growing our magic, our girl power, the journey can be driven from the heart perspective or the head perspective. I tend to lead with my logic, you know, my head, but all oh, the fun I have when I get to hang out with my girls who leave with their emotions, you know, their hearts. So I want you to join me and my friends on this podcast as we vibe in our village moments where we will talk, laugh, and maybe even cry. Yes, girl, we may even cry. But before we get started, I got to ask, are you the heart or the head? Come on, ladies, and let's talk about it. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode of The Hard-Headed Way. I am your host, Dietrich Wiley, and today's episode topic is Shining Against the Odds. And so joining me um, as my guest today is the dopeness in the form of Chenille P.J.
1: Yarbrough. And I want to say welcome to the show, P.J. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So two things about the show. One, um, the whole premise is that, you know, there's value in the village, obviously, which is why I want to have this conversation with you. But the other is the title of the episode or the, the podcast is called The Heart-Headed Way. Some people lead with their emotions, their heart. Some people lead with their logic, the head. I'm a head. So I got to ask, are you a heart? Are you a head?
1: I am most definitely a heart. Are you really? Always, more times than not want to evaluate myself in whatever moment I'm in. Sure. See what my emotion is and then move forward from there.
0: Got it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well if you don't mind will you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started with our conversation.
1: I do. So um as you said I am Chanel PJ Yarbrough. People oftentimes say how did you get PJ out of Chanel? And so uh, Chanel was my birth given name. However after Um, going through quite a few things as a young child, um, I was put in foster care and adopted. So after being adopted with my three biological sisters, my father began to give us all nicknames. And I always say, I won't share theirs because they're not here to defend themselves. But I uh, picked up on PJ and it means precious jewel. So very few people, willing to call me precious jewel every day so that's how pj sticks and um i have been given every single name for pj that you can imagine anything from the obvious pajamas to peanut butter and jelly and some that are not appropriate for your (laughs) podcast but that kind of tells you where my name comes from i am first and foremost a woman Uh, And I like to say that even uh, a Christian woman, a God-led woman. And then I'm a wife to Larry D. Yarbrough Sr., your classmate. Absolutely. And uh, we have uh, two beautiful sons, age 20, LJ, Larry Jr. And as of the Monday of this week, um, I'm sorry, last week, He turned 18. Our baby is 18 and he's a singer this year. So I'm a woman, I'm a wife, I'm a mother. And I actually want to just stop there because everything else is not necessarily who I am, but roles that I play. Uh, So we'll we'll talk about some of that, I guess, throughout the time we're spending together. But that tells you a little bit about me.
0: Absolutely. Oh, my God. So first of all, she is married to my classmate, Larry D. And I have to uh, tell you that I thought it was so funny. Um, We're going to talk about this in a minute about a book that uh, PJ has written. You call him Larry D. See, I thought that that was just a childhood name that all of us gave him in school. And so when I saw you reference him like that in the book, I was like, oh my gosh, she calls him Larry D too. But anyway, so y'all, she married good. My classmate is an amazing, amazing man. And so I was just so happy. Um, Even just in meeting you, I remember when he told me, and I don't know if he even remembers this, Um, after you guys were engaged, I think I came home to visit and I saw him.
1: Mm -hmm. I was like, how you been
0: doing? And he was telling me that he was engaged and he told me your name. And so I had heard PJ. I had never heard your first name. And so he told me and I was like, I have no idea who you're talking about. He said, yes, you do. He said, PJ. I was like, PJ. I was like, oh my God. And it just all made sense. If that makes sense to say that it just all made sense personality wise and everything. It was just so amazing. So I have always, always been like a big fan of you guys. And so again, reading about you guys in the book, I just thought it was a testament to just how good God is. So we'll get to that. Absolutely.
1: We will, we yes. will definitely get to that. The other thing is, you guys are about to be empty nesters. We are. We are. And it's amazing. After just talking about it almost every day now, uh, here in the most recent days, I can tell you that we're excited about it. Um, We don't have a sadness. We're not not worried. I think that having our oldest son be out of the house now for almost two years has really prepared us for this second one. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we kind of make a joke and say, what are we going to do? But not without having an answer. We have a lot of plans and we're excited to, we date every week, but we're excited to date even more often and not be so confined to... The city, we might be able to travel even more. But that's one of our favorite things to do. And, and we also want to always make sure that we leave the nest in a way that they feel comfortable to come back to it. So you know, we know that they'll come back and we're trying to make sure we're parenting in this new stage to make them want to be able to come home.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I tell you, um, my oldest is 23. He actually lives down there. In El Dorado, he teaches and coaches down there. And yes. I promise you, if I have never prayed hard for my kids, mm-hmm. it is since he's been an adult because he's teaching me how to parent him at this age, right? And so right. It's not even so much as teaching now as supporting and oh. um just respecting the boundaries of him as an adult and, and his decision making. And one of the things that I had to get used to was now, when he calls, he told me this one day, he said, mama, 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 I call. I just needed you to listen. I don't want you mm. to listen for me. I just want you to listen to me. And so that's the new rule. Do you want my input or do you just want me to listen? So I was like... Teach me, son. Teach me well. Yes, that is awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what that looks like for you guys. I'll have to look. I'm a lazy Facebook person, but when I go out there, the, the 15 minutes I'm out there, I catch up on everything everybody has has going on. But the reason I wanted to interview you, um, number one, I knew a little bit about your story about um, you know being in foster care and and being adopted. But I think what intrigued me a little bit more, especially after getting that book, was that it's so much deeper than that. And so yeah. I wanted to talk about it. And the reason being, I have a few friends who have adopted. I felt like there seeds that you have as far as just giving direction over, you know, foundationally, we all struggle with who are we. Right, mm-hmm. whether we are raised with our parents or not, just feel like that's a common struggle. And so I felt like what you have in you um, and what you shared in that book is just a message and a conversation worth having. And so I want to talk about Chanel. Chanel has a book, Born a Statistic, Living Rejected, Agreeing with God. Was this a labor of love in putting on paper?
1: Yes, it was. And I can tell you without a doubt, it was labor. (laughs) I did a lot of work. And for a lot of years, I I can recall even 10, 11 years before, maybe longer, saying, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. However, the time just wasn't right. And I wasn't ready. But once I, funny enough, came to a love for myself. And a love for my journey. Yes. I can put the labor and the love together. And so it definitely ends up being something that I want to leave in the earth as a labor of love, but also a legacy.
0: Oh, I love it. So share with us how you came up with the title.
1: It's a little bit, um, I would say circumstance, but then also I believe it was by divine intervention that it happened. So I think about a meeting which I describe in the book that I attended where there was a discussion being had about children whose parents were incarcerated. And the person who I'm sitting at the table with during that meeting makes this assumption, makes this, you know, declaration that we shouldn't be focusing on these children because if their parents are in jail, they're going to one day be in jail. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, while I was working one of my very first jobs, I hear that and I go, wow, that's the way people see me. Even though no one at the table knew, ooh, my mother was incarcerated. Right. But in my within myself, immediately something triggered. Is that the way they see me? Do they see me as a statistic? Do they see me as a number? Do they see me as something that's going to actually happen, even though I'm trying my best for that not to happen? And at first I was going to be quiet and not say anything, but then I actually spoke up and I shared, I can't agree with you there because my mother's been in prison the majority of my life and I've never been. Uh, I, never mean I shouldn't have gone. Right. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> I <Amen>. have not <laughs> been, you know, <laughs> and I still haven't been. But I, that that moment was defining. And I think that happened by... Again, happenstance, but divine intervention made me look back on my life over a period of several years and figure out that, yes, girl, you are a statistic. You can start with being a female, then you can go to being a woman of color, and then you can go to the obvious things such as adoption and foster care and all the other things that I share within my life story. And so that's how I got to born a statistic. Then after that, every season of my life, I was able to identify a commonality, Mm. rejection. Mm. And I have even accepted that it might be my forever. So that's why it is in the present tense, living rejected. Mm. More a statistic, living rejected, and last but not least, agreeing with God. And so if I'm a believer and I say that God has a plan for my life, I have to agree that he knew I would be born a statistic. He knows I'm living rejected, so I agree with him. Ah. Born a statistic, living rejected, agree with God. It's a long title. And at first I was going to like make it just born a statistic and then make those other chapters. But I felt a really, really strong unction, if you will, to name the book, Born a Statistic, Living Rejected, Agree With God. And then most of the times it is referenced as born a statistic. Oh,
0: my God. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And so let me ask you this up until the point where you mentioned it in that work group, in that setting. Did many people know your story? Did many people around you in your circle know about your mom or even know that um, you had been adopted? Like, what did that look like up to that
1: point? Up to that point? Again, that was about five years into my career. So I was five years out of college and I can say, if I go back to my school days, there were maybe two or three people who knew about the entire story. Mm. There were very few people in my friend circle or even people who were at school, teachers and different people in my life who knew the full scope of it. Mm. Certainly in that room that day, no one knew. Because it was the secret that I was still walking around with that I was afraid might have people look at me differently or treat me differently. And that could have been, oh, bless her heart, which I didn't want.
0: Right.
1: Or she's doomed for this same destiny. Right. Which was what I heard coming out of his mouth.
0: Yeah. And
1: so not being ready to deal with either one of those. I rarely shared my full story with people.
0: Amazing, and I, I and I share with that in that I am not. I tell people all the time I'm a talker and not a sharer. So from there, how do you continue to develop that voice? Because in your book, and I don't want to give it away for anybody that hadn't read it, it was a page turner. Not a page turner in me being able to see behind the scenes. It was a page turner because you were so transparent and. It resonates, right? Like it resonates as a woman, as a mom, mm-hmm. as a wife, as a person who's trying to grow spiritually, it really does resonate. And so how did you manage um, that noise in your head, if you will, from there? Like how do you now I've acknowledged this truth and I'm open about it. And this this is something that is part of my ministry. How do you manage going into new spaces with that detail now being out there about you?
1: Wow, that's that's a loaded question right there. And I can tell you that I am and have always been transparent to a flaw. Mm. So if I can go back to one of your comments about being an African-American woman, being in an environment in corporate America where you are many times outnumbered, mm-hmm. you have to walk a little differently, talk a little differently. And make sure that you're very careful not to step on toes or have your toes stepped on. And so in that moment and so many moments since then, the transparency that has always been there, but I did cover for so long, just somehow seeped out of me finally. Mm, And so I'll tell you that when that occurred, that particular instance where I was uncovering myself with colleagues for the first time I was not healed Mm -hmm. I was not whole and I was not ready to truly tell not my story but the story yeah but it seeped out (laughs) so I think what really made it come up initially is like no you didn't no you will not And it was like, I was offended that I had been basically stereotyped. Wow. So the first time it came out, it was to defend myself. Mm -hmm. Later, after the cat is out of the bag, if you will, and people who had permission to come into my life and ask me, tell me more. There were only a couple, but there were a couple who I worked with at that time who said, wow, I I I was really intrigued by what you said. Tell me more. I began to share things on a one-on-one basis with people. And the more I shared it one-on-one, the more I felt comfortable that they still loved me after I told them all of this stuff. While I had thought in my mind for so many years, if people knew they wouldn't like me, if people knew they would judge me, if people knew they would say, I'm not saved. You know, and and the, the, the noise was so loud in my head that I had never said much. But as people who I shared with safely first, one-on-one, who had good intentions towards me, would make me feel safe, secure. And on top of that, say, wow. I had no idea. I'm so inspired. Thank you for sharing that. And guess what? X, Y, and Z happened to me. And I didn't know we had that in common. Or that makes me think of this instance. And wow, you said that. Now, how did you get through that? And I found myself being able to give them strategies, tips, ways to cope, and them come back to me and say, I just can't thank you enough. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that what I had been through and survived, Mm -hmm. people needed to know how I did that. Oh my gosh. So the transparency now comes so freely because as you said earlier, also there is a freedom that the more I told it would save people. And then that began to grow. And I began to share it with absolute strangers. And, and now I'm to the point where I'm invited to share it with hundreds and hundreds of people at a time. And of course the book is out there. You would not believe what people tell me that they've never told anyone. I got my air quotes up. They've never told anyone, but they're telling me because I showed them my wounds and Mm. now they feel comfortable to share theirs with me. So that was the key. That's how I do it. As long as I know that what I went through was not in vain and it can help someone else, I'll keep being transparent. I'll keep telling the truth. I I love
0: that, PJ. And so one of the things you said when you shared it, you were not healed and you were not whole. And in a time, especially if nothing else has arisen from the pandemic, um, mental illness has come to the forefront of the conversation. In African-American communities, mental illness is seldom discussed. And so for me, you showed your scars or your wounds, rather, um, in that moment. How do you, how do you continue to manage um. while you're still healing? Because now um, there is, for and again, and I'm asking you for me, because <laughs> as you are healing, you still have those bad days. You still have those low days. And so now you've been a picture of strength for people. And you're mm-hmm. like, but I'm still going through it. Let's be, be clear here. And so how do you, how do you share in that space but also remain vulnerable enough to know I'm not, I'm still a work in progress, y'all. Like, how do you do
1: that? Yes, I think that we need to first just remember that we're all a work in progress. And while I've come such a long ways and I have achieved so much and I am now healed and whole, it didn't happen overnight. And there are days that are challenging. I have to tell the story of my husband and. how he was with me through this entire journey. And I shared that pretty vividly in the book. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you this, maybe last year or the year before, we were just taking a drive somewhere and he looks over to me while we're on our journey and he says, how do you do it? And I say, what do you mean? He said, how do you like live this life now as I... Think back to where we were and where you mm. were. He said, how do you do this every day? Because what people don't realize, what you're reading in a book, we lived. Amen. And he was there and he endured every bit of it with me. And he said, What's, "What? what do you do? How do you do this? And this was my answer. I choose every day. Oh, come on now. So when I wake up every single day, I'm to the point now where it's every single day there, there were seasons in my life where it was a couple of days a week and there were, there were other times where, oh, I just could only manage it one day a week. But yeah. I'm to the point now that every single day when I wake up and I realize, oh God, what we have today, I get to choose. Do I lay in this bed and be sad or do I get up and I live my life as a glad person. yeah, It's just as simple as, and this is going to be challenging for some of us who might be right now sitting in the middle of something that's got us feeling heavy or that's got us depressed or you put a label on it, whatever it might be for you. But it's just as simple as sitting in a restaurant with a menu in front of you and you've got lots of choices. You can have a hamburger, pizza, or a salad, Mm -hmm. but you've got to choose. You can go to your closet And you can decide I'm going to wear blue, black or green, but you've got to choose it. And so that's how I manage my mental health. Am I going to be here and stay here in this sad, depressing state or I'm going to get up and I'm going to make the best of today? It's a choice. And can I be real and say some days I choose the first? Amen. I took a mental health day not too long ago because. I didn't feel like doing it. I didn't (laughs) want to be on a Zoom or be a part of a conference call or do anything that day where I had to absolutely fake it to make it because that's nowhere in PJ's being. I I just don't do good at that. And so I took a mental health day to get myself replenished and that looks different for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you six out of seven days I've lived the other way long enough and I've experienced that enough that I choose to go to the option of living every day on purpose and kind of by my mantra, if you will, I live freely and I love deeply. Ah, and I try to make sure I do that every day. I like that. So when you sat down
0: to write, and I saw this in your book, you know, you were concerned, you know, what will. You know, they think, um, you know, what will and even what as it pertains to people that were a part of what you were living, whether it be your your biological parents, your um, adoptive parents and, and others that have crossed your path.
1: How did you what did those conversations look like once the book went out? So it it really depends on who we're talking about. And so I'm going to start at home because that's really what was most important to me. Sure. My husband was very supportive as I was writing. He was reading as I was writing. He was even a part of the editing process in some cases where I would say, hey, how does this sound? Or how does this make you feel? Is this okay for me to share this? And, And that only went on for a little while before he said, baby, write it, tell it. Mm-hmm. He gave me the the green light, if you will. Yeah. And then I remember very vividly when I was writing about the boys and them being born, I pulled them in and I said, listen, guys, this is what I'm writing about you and you coming into our family. And this is where I was here. And this is where I was there. And I wanted, I wanted you to hear it and, and know that this is, Important enough that I want to share, but I want to make sure you're comfortable with that. Well, that's good. Remember, I said I want to leave a legacy even and that's for them and and their families to come later on and so at home, I felt very safe. I felt very confident that although some very tough and challenging and hard things would be shared, it was necessary and when I think of one particular friend who had the book in her hand autographed copy from me. Matter of fact, it was a gift. She said, thank you so much. I know how hard you've worked on it. I just can't bring myself to read this right now. And I said, well, why not? She said, I love you so much that I can't imagine reading you being in pain. I can't, I can't fathom you sharing as much as you've said that you've shared in this book. She said, I just can't read it. I said, well, can I help you with that? And she said, sure what would you say to make me feel better about it? I said, you know how it ends. Mm. And she Girl. looked at me and she said, you're right. I'm looking at how it ends. I said, exactly. And so for, uh, for a few friends who were in the book and those who were not in the book, that's kind of how I handled it with them, with my sisters I called them and talked to them individually. They didn't ask a whole lot of questions, but they did show their support of me being to the point where I could share my part. And I've even been asked, was this what all of your sisters experienced or just you? Well, that's for them to tell when they're ready. Mm -hmm. This told what my experience was while also being fully the truth.
0: Alright, guys, we're going to stop today's episode right here. I assure you it's not over yet. Tune in to the next episode to hear the rest of our discussion. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.